The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you here this morning. Uh, For those of you inside, for those of you brave in the cold outside, for those of you at home, so glad to be with you here this morning. I want to start by just letting you know about one of my pet peeves. People who don't turn their lights on when they're driving at night. Come on. Multiple times I've almost gotten into an accident because I just, I can't see their car. And it's gotten worse over the years. You'd think with like the technology in cars, it's gotten better. But no, it's been quite the opposite. Because back in the day, for those of us that drove back in the day, uh, the, the way you'd know that your headlights were on was if your dashboard lights were on, right? And if your dashboard lights were off, you're like, why can't I see how fast I'm going? Oh, because my lights aren't on. Click, boom, good to go. But now we've got these fancy cars that the dash lights are on all the time. Even the headlights are on all the time but the taillights aren't on. And so we still can't see you, you know, and you got to learn to flick, you know, turn those lights on. So if you're driving along and you see someone behind you flashing their lights at you at night, it's probably me and it's probably because your taillights aren't on. Just trying to do a service, you know, it just, ah, it gets to me. And it's even like, it's absolutely the worst when there aren't streetlights. Like, not that 17 is already bad enough to drive over, and then you throw in some snow on top of that, random. But, like, going over 17 at night without headlights on is absolutely dangerous, super terrifying. The darker the area, the more the light is needed, and the more one little light will penetrate the darkness. In the Bay Area... Christianity is not the norm. Our area continues to be at the top of lists of cities that are the most unchurched, the most de-churched, meaning people used to come to church and don't anymore, uh, and the lowest percentage of practicing Christians. So as far as following Jesus is concerned, we live in one of the darkest areas of the country. The darker the area, the more the light is needed. And the more one little light will penetrate the darkness. We're continuing this morning in our series on Philippians called Choosing Joy. So I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Our passage today is verses 12 through 18. It's also in the worship guide that you got when you came in. Uh, the, The verses are right there as well. Our title for today's message actually comes right out of the passage. Verse 15 says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul both encourages and challenges his readers to shine as lights. And as we look at this passage, we will see how Paul was communicating this concept to his original readers and what it means for us today. Now, a little warning to you linear thinkers, this is not a linear passage. Uh, We're going to begin with a linear reading just to see the passage in whole, but then we're going to be jumping around a little bit. So I'd encourage you to hang on. Don't worry, I'm a linear thinker as well. And so as I was even studying and looking at this, like, 
just getting to me, you know? It was bugging me. But we're gonna do our best to just kind of go on through the passage, hopping around just a little bit. Let's take a look at the passage as a whole. Philippians 2, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Some of you like filling in blanks, uh, keeping track of notes. Uh, And so I've got three different uh, sets of blanks to fill in, three different instructions about what it means to shine as lights from this passage. And the first is to shine as lights for Jesus. Shine as lights for Jesus. Let's look again at verses 12, 14, and 15. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Jump down to 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Shine as lights in the world. You're supposed to shine as lights in the world. Well, shine for who? Now, if you've been in church for any period of time, you know the right answer is always Jesus, right? Uh, He's asking a question, Jesus, you're probably right. Now, in this instance, you're 100% is right. Shine as lights for Jesus. But we shouldn't take it as an assumption. Rather, we should look and say, okay, does Paul really say that? Does he really point to the fact that we're supposed to shine as lights for Jesus? Well, if you go back through what he's written already in this letter, you'll see it all over the place. Chapter one, verse four, it says, it talks about a partnership in the gospel. The gospel meaning the gospel of Jesus. Chapter one, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Verse 13, it says, my imprisonment is for Christ. Verses 15 and 17, he talks about preaching Christ proclaiming Christ. Verse 18, Christ is proclaimed. Verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Shine as lights for Jesus. He makes it plainly obvious. That's who we're supposed to be shining as lights for. Now, how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to shine as lights? Well, he says in verse 12, as you have always obeyed. How do we shine as lights? We obey. Boy, that's a blanket statement, huh? Get out there, obey. Now, the first thing some of you may be thinking is, okay, I'm supposed to obey, but what am I supposed to obey? Yeah, you kind of need to know what you're being asked to do, right? It's kind of like, maybe you've had the, the Charlie Brown adult speaking moment, you know, wah, 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 wah. Can you do that for me? Oh man, I should have been paying attention to what they asked. 
Oops, my bad. Oh yeah, sure, I'll do that. I got to figure out what they asked me to do. You've got to know what you're being asked to do. If you're being told to obey, well, obey what? How do you know what to do? You read God's word. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, holding fast to the word of life. How do you know what you're supposed to do? You dive in to God's word. You read it and here's your instruction manual. Here's what you're supposed to be doing. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And it talks all about having a passion for God's word and how it guides and directs your life. Look at these three verses from Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We obey by diving into God's word, knowing what it says and then living that out. And then in verse 15, he points to an end goal. He says that you may be blameless and innocent. Blameless and innocent. This is actually the second time that Paul points this out. In chapter one, verse 10, he says, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul's pointing to the last part of this Christian journey. Michael talked about the Christian journey a few weeks ago, and we're gonna come back to it in a minute. But this is the end goal, that we'd be blameless and innocent. And then the next phrase in verse 15 gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to shine as lights. It's taking a verse from the book of Deuteronomy and flipping it from its head. And this speaks to the beauty of how the Bible is put together. This is one book written by many different authors over thousands of years, but it's all pointing back to one truth. And it's, and it's a unified message. And what's beautiful here is that Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy, but flipping it on its head and showing the connection of scripture. Let me start by showing you the verse in Deuteronomy and then showing you what Paul does with it. In Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is talking to the nation of Israel. He's coming to the end of his life and he's basically saying, you guys blew it. You're really messed up. Let me remind you of that in a harsh and kind of tough message. Look at verses four and five. It says, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. See the obedience there? But then verse five, they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Now we're gonna leave that verse up on the screen for just a minute because we're gonna compare it with verse 15. The nation of Israel was the problem. And Moses was calling them out. They weren't living the way that God had called them to live. But here, the Christians in Philippi were being encouraged and challenged to be the exception to the rule, to be different from everyone else. Look at verse five up here on the screen as I read verse 15 from our passage. Children of God without blemish, 
in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. See, the verse in Deuteronomy says they're no longer children. They are blemished. They are the crooked and twisted generation. And here Paul is flipping it on its head. Now, the crooked and, generation, the crooked and twisted generation still existed and frankly is going to con- continue to exist until Jesus comes back and makes all things right. So being blameless and innocent without blemish would have made them stand out. And that's why Paul is calling this to light. So this is this end goal. And this helps us understand how obeying is an effective way to shine as lights for Jesus. Jesus spoke to the same concept in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. See that? That they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When you are obeying God's word, when you are doing these good works, when you're obeying his word, it sets you apart from how others are living. It shows people who Jesus is, what a life with him looks like. And it shows them why they would want to follow him. The darker the area, the more the light is needed and the more one little light will penetrate the darkness. So Paul points to this faithful obedience and gives them all this end goal to strive for. He also says in verse 12 to work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Now let me come back to the Christian journey. The Christian journey uh, begins with justification. And justification is this Christianese word. It basically means being made right, made right before God. We, We all live our lives and we live in sin and we fall short of God's glory. And he comes and saves us and redeems us and makes us right before him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. And in Romans 10, 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period, end of sentence. That's it. It's a one and done thing. Justification happens once and it's complete. And that's the beginning of the Christian journey is, is coming to Jesus and saying, look, I've blown it, I've messed up. I need your forgiveness, I need your grace. And it's offered and it's given and that's it. And it's not anything that you're doing or earning. It cannot be earned. You cannot attain it on your own. It is given as a gift. That's the beginning of the Christian journey. The end of the Christian journey, which I mentioned earlier, is glorification. And glorification is basically just when we're with Jesus forever, when we're pure and blameless, as Paul talked about, when we get to that point where we are perfect and we're with Jesus forever. 
Now, in between those two, in between justification being made right before God and glorification being with him forever is this other Christianese word, sanctification. And sanctification is simply becoming more like Jesus. Sanctification is growing in your faith to become more like him. And sanctification is there showing that justification has happened. Look at what it says. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. You can't work for your salvation. It's impossible. This is a huge theological difference between Christianity and all other religions. Other religions will give you a task list, a a list of things to do. Hey, if you knock out these things, then you will achieve glorification. You'll achieve enlightenment, utopia, paradise. You want to get there? You've got to do these things. The burden is on you. It's up to you to accomplish these things during your life so that you can reach nirvana, utopia, enlightenment, whatever. The Bible tells us we can never get there on our own. Romans 3, 10 and 11 says, none is righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. No one seeks for God. Again, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It's a gift, a gift from God. We're given this amazing gift and our response shows whether we've accepted it or not. In fact, verse 12 in the New Living Translation, it says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. That's what Paul's trying to say here. Show the results of your salvation. Not work hard to get it, work hard to show it, to show that it's actually there. My oldest son is getting closer to driving age. So I'd appreciate your prayers. (laughs) I'm sure he's going to be a great driver. But imagine he finally gets his driver's license. And I come to him and I say, son, I'm so excited for you. I'm so happy for you. And your mom and I bought you a car. Here's your car, son. He says, thanks, dad. Wow, what a great gift. And then he immediately hops on his bike to head to work. Or he calls up a friend and says, hey, can I get a ride? I I just gave you a car. What are you doing? his response shows whether he's really received the gift or not, right? If I give him that car and it sits in his driveway, he never really received it. It shows by how he's living. Now again, justification is confessing Jesus as Lord. Justification, being made right before God, is saying, God, You're in charge, not me. It's recognizing that your way of living isn't working, that you've experienced everything the world has to offer and you wound up empty. So you confess that you need his forgiveness. You confess that you want to live his way. See how it makes no sense 
to make that confession and then go back and continue to live the way you were living before? It makes no sense. Yes, God, I'm putting you in charge. Just kidding. I'm just gonna go and keep living the way that I was before. Some people pray to accept Jesus simply looking for their ticket to heaven or looking to get something off their shoulders. That's not what coming to Jesus is all about. Jesus invites us to live his way. He's offering us the best life possible. And today, some of you feel that emptiness. You feel like you're lost and you've tried everything that the world has to offer and you're winding up empty. Today's the day to put Jesus in charge. Today's the day to say, I'm done living life my own way. I wanna live life your way, Lord. And so that's an act and, and, a, and a change that happens in a moment, justification being made right. But then the way that you live after that shows how you've received that gift. Next, Paul says uh, to do this, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Fear and trembling doesn't mean being afraid. It simply means taking it seriously. To not have this cavalier attitude towards it. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll try. But if I don't do it that well, that's no big deal. A few years ago, I took my middle son, Gabriel, out to Yellowstone. And one of the things that Yellowstone is known for is having lots of big animals all over the place. Big animals. We were, we were there in, uh, on a hike and a bear walked right across the path in front of us. Terrifying. There were elk all over the place. Huge animals. And there's also bison. Bison are enormous. Average weight of a bison is about 1,500 pounds, but they can grow up to 2,500 pounds plus. Fun fact, three times as many people are injured in Yellowstone by bison as by bears. Three times as many people. And you know why? It's because people don't take bison seriously. Oh, look at that big old fluffy thing. I'm gonna pet it. No, no. <laughs> they have this cavalier attitude towards these huge animals. Did you know that bison can run 40 to 45 miles an hour? Those huge animals, yeah, you're not gonna outrun it. It'll catch you and it won't be nice. Bison aren't friendly little cuddly creatures. They're terrifying. People don't take bison seriously. A lot of people don't take sin seriously. And they treat it with this cavalier attitude, like, ah, oh, yeah, I made Jesus my Lord, but you know, I, I'm imperfect, so I'm just gonna make mistakes. It's okay, Jesus will forgive me. You're not taking it seriously. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Take it seriously as you strive to live in the way that he has asked you to live. You're called to live differently. Now in verse 14, 
Paul kind of lays out one specific way to do this. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now there's a lot of things that he could have pointed to here. But he picked this. Think about how different living this way is. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. When was the last time you grumbled? When was the last time you disputed? We're really good at this. I was sitting in Starbucks earlier this week, working on this sermon, putting this together. And a woman comes up to me and says, would you mind scooting one seat down so that I can sit next to my friend? And of course, I just responded with kindness and grace and said, yes, I would be happy to. I did not. Well, you know, the seat next to me is kind of dirty, so it's going to take me a while because i got to get up and clean it. I grumbled. As I'm studying this, getting ready to talk about how we shouldn't be grumbling or disputing. <laughs> These are just, this isn't this an exhaustive list of, of how to obey, of how to work out your salvation. But it's just a couple of things, tangible things to show that you're living differently, that you're putting others before yourself. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Maybe your one thing that you grab today is to not grumble or complain. Just try it for the rest of the day. Maybe, well, in doing that, I guarantee that you'll shine as a light. Just no grumbling or disputing. Now this passage answered the question of who. Shine as lights for who? For Jesus. It also talked about how. How do we do this? Well, obey. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 12 also answers the why. Shine as lights. Why? For Jesus. Simply making him Lord should be enough of a why, but we're given even more. That first word in verse 12, I love that word, therefore. Therefore points to the previous passage. Based on what was just said, therefore shine as lights. Therefore obey. Therefore work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, what did Paul just say? He just talked about Jesus. He just pointed to Jesus and how he lived in humility, how he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. He was obedient to the point of death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He pointed to Jesus and who he was. Look at Jesus. Look at who he was. Therefore, shine his lights. Look at Jesus. Look at how he lived. Therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus says in John 12, I, or John 8, I am the light of the world Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Paul took time pointing to the light. Shine as lights that point to the light of the world. So now, how do we do all this? Well, second set of blanks to fill in. Shine as lights leaning on Jesus. Leaning on Jesus. We were just told, as you've always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Well, that's a lot. That's what we're supposed to do. That's a weighty task. It's impossible. Well, then we've got verse 13. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Oh, what a sigh of relief. It's God who works in you. There's no way that we can do this on our own. There's no way that we can live pure and blameless, that we can shine as lights, that we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling on our own, that we can not grumble and not complain, right? We can't do this on our own. And thankfully, we aren't expected to. Many Christians try to carry this burden. Once they submit their lives to Jesus, they start working really hard trying to do everything right. See, Lord, I was worth saving. Look how good I'm doing. But that thinking is exactly the opposite of what it means to submit your life to Jesus. Again, you come to Jesus because you can not live his way on your own. So why should you think when you start following him that all of a sudden you're able to live his way on your own? You need to lean on Jesus. It's God who works in you. The Bible says this over and over. Let me just show you a few verses. 1 Corinthians 12, it says, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And then he goes through and talks about all these different gifts that are given. He says, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It's God the one that's the one that's doing the work. And in 1 Corinthians 15:10, it says, "But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It's not I. I'm not the one doing the work. It's God that's doing the work. Romans 12, three says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Do you see it? You don't have the ability to shine as a light on your own strength, but it was never meant to be that way. God is giving you the strength to live differently. He is changing your heart one day at a time to become more like him. When I first became a youth pastor back in 2003, uh, my, my boss brought me into his office and he said, hey, this is what you gotta do. I need you to be teaching these middle school students about the Bible. I need you to be teaching them about Jesus every Sunday, every Wednesday night. Get going. 
okay, that's a lot. How the heck do I do that? But that wasn't the end of the conversation. He said, and we're going to meet every single week so that I can teach you how to do that. And he took time with me every single week for the next six months plus, teaching me and showing me how to do it. We've all had that amazing mentor, teacher, boss, parent that has put a seemingly insurmountable task or goal in front of us and then taken the time to show us how to do it. See, we're called to shine as lights for Jesus, to show the world who he is by how we live, a seemingly insurmountable task. Jesus calls us to this, and then he comes alongside and shows us how, step by step. So Paul both calls and challenges his readers, the church in Philippi and us, to shine as lights for Jesus, living in such a different way that the world notices and wants to know more. It's our job to take this seriously because we're representing Jesus as we live, but we're not meant or able to do this on our own. God comes alongside us to teach us how to live this way. And he also sets us up well to live this way by putting others in our life. Paul finishes this thought and transitions to his next thought, which Michael will talk on next Sunday, that we are to shine as lights together. Shine as lights together. Look at verses 16 to 18. It says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even though I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is first saying that he's both hoping and expecting to be proud of his brothers and sisters in Philippi. Now, there's a well-meaning but equally daunting phrase that can come from a parent, teacher, mentor, or coach. Make me proud. Right? I, I like visual pictures, and so I always picture the, the dad dropping his son off at school. Make me proud, son. Okay, dad. And he turns around and smack right into a pole. Well, there went that idea. <laughs> I asked my boys uh, how they feel when I say that. Make me proud. And they thought for a second, I don't know that you've said that to us before, Dad. Hmm, huh, okay. Um, <laughs> take that as you will. Uh, but I, then I said, okay, if I did, how would you feel? If I said, make me proud. I'm like, I don't think I'd feel pressured. I'm like, really? No, I don't think so. I'm like, hmm. And my son Gabriel said, well, I remember you one time saying that you were proud of me. And a light bulb went off. The source matters. See, Paul loves these people. The people that he was writing to in Philippi, he loves them. In our passage, verse 12, he calls them my beloved Earlier, he says that I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Later in his letter, he calls them my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, my beloved. So this message comes from a deep love for the people he's writing to. As he's challenging them and encouraging them to shine as lights, reminding them God will give them the ability to do so, he's not being condescending, judgmental, or demanding. 
It would be easy for us to read this passage with a very judgmental or demanding tone. Get out there, work out your salvation. No grumbling or disputing. Okay. But that wasn't the heart behind his words. So we shouldn't put that tone in when it wasn't intended to be there. The love behind the message is why my boys didn't anticipate any pressure if I told them to make me proud. I love you, sons. Make me proud. See, I know they're going to fail sometimes, but that doesn't change my love for them or my desire that they live a life that would make me proud. God puts people in our lives that love us with that same love. He knows we aren't going to shine his lights perfectly. We're going to fail. But when we have people around us that we know are in our corner, it gives us the strength to keep going. He ends by saying, be glad and rejoice. See, shining his lights isn't always going to be easy. He mentions that it's a drink offering, a sacrificial offering, and he's reiterating the suffering that will be present in this life. Other times in the letter, he talks about his imprisonment. He says, you'll suffer for his sake. Look out for evildoers. You share my trouble. And so it's reassuring and strengthening to know that we're doing this together. We're living for Jesus together. Just on Wednesday in our community group, it was so encouraging to sit and look the others in my community group, look them in the eye and have them look me in the eye as we're talking about our journey with Jesus as we're talking about how we're walking with him, trying to become more like him, sharing our struggles, sharing our joys, our sorrows together, and saying, we're doing this together, praying for each other. We're not called to do this alone. The darker the area, the more the light is needed, and the more one little light will penetrate the darkness. Friends, we're called to shine as lights for Jesus. He comes alongside and helps us live that way. And he puts people around us so that we can shine as lights together. Today, shine as a light for Jesus. Lean on him for the ability to do so. And share your journey with your Christian brothers and sisters. I'd encourage you, if you're not a part of a community group, to get in community with other believers and to be encouraged by them. If you're still checking this whole Christianity thing out and you want to know more, I'd invite you to come have a conversation with me, with one of the other pastors. We'd love to share more about it. And maybe for some of you, what you need to do is to dive into God's word so that you know how to be living, what he's called you to do, what he's invited you to do to live the best life possible. All of these things are needed to help us shine as lights. Let me pray. God, um, you've invited us to be a part of something big, to shine as lights in a dark world, to be the little picture of Jesus. Would you help us to shine as lights in our neighborhood, with our family, with our coworkers? in our schools. God, everywhere we are, help us to shine as lights so that when people look at us, see how we're living, they see you and they want more. They see something different and they start asking questions. God, we need you. Help us to say yes 
to you. Help us to say, yes, Lord, I will. I will come alongside this journey. I will make your name great. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.